1: Into the RotoWire NFL podcast. It is Thursday, October twenty second. I am your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig. We are already into week seven of the NFL season. I can't believe how quickly things are flying by. Uh, we got a Thursday night game once again. Missed it dearly last week, but we did get treated to a Monday night doubleheader uh, this past week. So the football fix uh, certainly uh, still working out pretty well. But Mario, we we want to just dive right in today. We got a matchup, a divisional matchup on national TV, maybe the worst division in football, maybe the worst one we can remember in quite some time, the NFC East. We got the Eagles banged up team going up against the Giants. Who, who even knows how to properly describe them? Um, but this is a matchup, and uh, you know that, that will be the standalone game on Thursday night. The Eagles are sitting at four-and-a-half point favorites in this one. Looks like Dallas Goddard not going to be available for this one, and obviously with Zach Ertz, being injured recently as well. That's just another hit to this Eagles team. So, when it comes down to it, and Miles Sanders of course injured as well. So, when it comes down to it from a fantasy perspective, Mario, is there anything to to glean here when it when it comes to the, this Eagles team right now?
2: Well, um somebody might score in this game, I guess. It's it's hard to tell who's left even as a candidate, let alone, you know, a qualified Candidate. So with Sanders and Ertz out on the Eagles side, sorry, I'm trying to brush up on a couple things. So Jeffrey is not back. Deshaun is here. Deshaun is in. So, uh, yeah, I guess uh, I could imagine this being kind of one of those games where Carson Wentz, has sort of an ugly game and and there's a lot of things going wrong, but the Eagles sort of just keep getting the the ball back. They keep getting more possessions because Daniel Jones isn't doing so hot either on the other side. And the the Giants offense, of course, has a variety of ways that they can fail. And Wentz does, I know he's, I know he's not a great quarterback or anything, but I do think his critics got to give him credit that in games like that. And I guess the Ravens game was kind of one of these games like he, he makes these plays and he'll miss these throws that that you know that look ugly, but he'll also kind of just carry the team. And sometimes it takes until late in the game, but usually, if necessary, by the late in the game, he'll kind of just will them to some sort of position where they can be in a winning position in the game. And I'm guessing he'll do that here. Like maybe he'll kind of. Miss some throws, maybe his, the the other receivers, of course, won't be so great for their part, especially with the injuries, especially with Goddard and Ertz out. But I feel like Wentz will kind of just, uh, you know, even if it takes – 80 plays I think he'll kind of just get to 20 fantasy points and uh, this this will be an ugly game one way whatever way it goes though because you can imagine the Giants getting nowhere at all just because they probably can't run against most teams and probably not the Eagles especially so you got Slayton as pretty much the only threat in that offense and he might get he might get shadowed by Slay who um is at least pretty good and Slayton's not 100% healthy either so if the Giants can't move the ball then uh, it's it's like the fact that we don't think the Eagles can move it that well either. Uh, it doesn't really matter that much because I think they still have the upper hand somehow, basically just because the quarterbacks, I guess.
1: All right, three names uh, on the Eagles side to, to throw your way real quick. Um, one, Boston Scott.
2: Well, it's a good setup for him in that he's a home favorite and the starter, but I don't know how good he actually is. I, I think he's more of kind of just an off the bench sort of player. I don't know. I don't know if he's one of those guys who really gets a huge boost when he goes from backup to starter, but he has to be the lead guy because Corey Clements has been awful this year and it doesn't seem like Jason Huntley is ready to play, or at least he hasn't been on the field lately. Maybe that changes here, but I think with Scott it's, it's kind of like the floor is not that high and the ceiling is not that high either. So I wouldn't want him as more than like a flex play, and even, even if I'm choosing between like him and someone like J.D. McKissick, that's a pretty tough call. I might even prefer McKissick. So uh, if you're a Boston Scott owner who's kind of just like you know seeing the dollar signs in your eyes right now, I think you might want to tone it down a little. It's probably mm. not going to be that great, but I don't know. Like if if the Eagles win, the running game has to function somehow, and Scott is kind of just the default favorite for now.
1: Yeah, that, that's what I'm thinking. Kind of like a hold your nose. Don't expect a whole lot more than like 10 to 12 PPR points. But I think that he he realistically could could deliver that. I just don't think, think that this will be like a blow up spot for him necessarily. Yeah. Just because he can he's do a starting. few things, but yeah. only a few things. And then you know we we mentioned Goddard um, and Ertz. So with those guys being out, if you really need a stream tight end, I mean this might only apply to like two tight end leagues. But is Richard Rogers worth a look? <laughs> uh i don't know I all guess right, there's so.
2: your answer i, all mean, right, that, that, I guess it's fine. either like they i guess it's like they either totally revamp the offense or some tight end has to play 45 55 snaps or something so i can't really argue against it richard Rodgers
1: played 43 snaps last week actually and and caught all three of his targets for 31 yards
2: yeah i mean he's had little brief flashes of productivity in the past it's just such a such a weird situation to have to think about Richard Rodgers in 2020, uh, specifically <laughs> on the Eagles. So yeah. it's it's pretty weird. I, I I don't hate it. I mean, I it's like I don't even know who I would who I would rank higher this week between Rodgers and Evan Ingram. You know, it's just it's ridiculous uh, wh- where we fall into. Yes,
1: yes, it is. And then uh, last one. I, I think that we're we're past the the stage of like, should this guy be rostered? And now it's a question of like, you know. Is he wide receiver three range, wide receiver two range, and, and that's Travis Fulgham. So where are you with him uh, coming out of last week's performance against Baltimore?
2: Well, if he can produce against Baltimore, then he ought to be able to produce against almost anyone. It, it was a little bit peculiar of a game flow that maybe kind of kept him involved in, through the game kept the Eagles needing to go back to him. But even if he's getting shadowed, he'll probably be shadowed by James Bradbury, I would guess, in this game and. Bradbury's kind of the ideal sort of corner to counter a receiver like Fulgham with. But when there are no other options, I don't think that really matters a whole lot. And pertinently, like Fulgham's one of those receivers who specifically makes his catches when he's covered anyway. So maybe that means, uh, I don't know, maybe that means that if he's covered well, it's also less significant than if the guy who's who wins by getting open is covered well. Like maybe mm. it just doesn't mean as much when, when Fulgham gets, a, gets a scary shadow corner situation. But even if, yeah, even if you were worried about Bradbury, it's just like they need to go to Fulgham. So uh, even if he needs to get 12 targets for uh, 65 yards on five catches, then I, I think he'll get those 12 targets, but like he could, he could
1: do better than that too. Okay. All right. Well, that, that's good enough for me. I, I think that, that Fulgham, you know, the, the way that he's produced um, since that that Sunday night touchdown, it, is, I'm sold enough on him being like a, a, a decent, you know, like wide receiver three from, from here Oh, on, yeah. I think he's one with, of the better wide receiver threes right now. You know? Okay. There we go. Um, let's move on over. We got some more games to get to, of course. Let's get on over to Sunday. We got the Panthers going up against the Saints. Saints, I guess... It, it, Zooming back out for, for a second here, if you sunk your first round pick into Michael Thomas, now he's got the hamstring on top of, you know, missing the, the last game for disciplinary reasons, already missed a lot of time with the, with the high ankle. Like, is there any way that he can even be like close to returning value at this point? I mean, like even like down the stretch, can he get hot enough to, to really like kind of help carry you and, and make that first round selection not a complete waste?
2: Well, you can't get back the missed time, but for this point in the season onward, I think it would be pretty disappointing if he's not like a top five receiver in PPR. Like, it would be disappointing if he's not a top three receiver in PPR, but it would be legitimately surprising if he's not top five in PPR. Like, I always thought of Thomas as a baseline receiver more in the range of 110 catches for 1,300 yards per season and not so much the crazy numbers that he posted last year and even if he's more like what I just kind of described as a lower baseline than last year, he would still project to be kind of at the top of, of uh, the receiver rankings. And especially when one of them is DeAndre Hopkins, that's up there. It, I, like, I just hate what Cliff Kingsbury's doing with that Arizona offense. And I'm not convinced Hopkins finishes as strong as he started. Um, but it's, it's like with, with guys like that ahead of him and you know Tyreek isn't exactly going nuts this year. I feel like, I feel like Thomas should be able to get into that top three PPR kind of area going forward, assuming he hasn't gone completely insane or whatever the other (laughs) stuff is that he has going on.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. So, so that, that calms, calms me down in the, in like the one league where, where I did go Thomas with my first round selection, but, uh, you know, we'll see, um, again. And then on the other side, uh, no McCaffrey once again for, for this week. So it'll be the Mike Davis show. Um, but you know, just focusing back in on this game itself, like how do you see it shaking out?
2: Uh, I don't know. It's it's kind of tough for me because the spread seems a little favorable to the Saints. I I, I think just in the, in the way that uh, they haven't exactly been convincing. They haven't come across as an actually good team. And I feel like seven points, you need to be a good team to get that, even if you're playing against a bad team, which uh, the, the Panthers are probably not good but they don't have the sort of t- they're not the type of, of team that, that loses the way a team like, you know, Dallas could like, they don't just come in and embarrass themselves. It's like, if you play them badly, you are at risk of losing to them. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's, it's not, I, I just, I'm not convinced that the saints have their act together enough or are even particularly good to, to get that much of a deference, you know, seven points was what it opened at up to seven and a half. Uh, I, I am not a better, but uh, that seems a little weird to me. So uh, particularly with guys like Marshawn Lattimore playing badly this year, I mean, on the one hand, you would expect him to to improve because so far his struggles are the anomaly in his broader career. But is it really against the likes of Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore that you're likely to break out of a profound slump? I don't know. It's it's possible, I guess. But uh, I don't know. I, I feel like the the Panthers... I've I've mentioned before. I think Phil Snow, their defensive coordinator, is doing a good job, and I wouldn't be surprised if he has a pretty sharp game plan here that really makes the Saints' offense struggle for a few quarters. And yeah, they'll probably figure it out more or less by the third or the fourth quarter and get a win somehow. I just think it'll look more like a four-point win or a three-point win or something.
1: Yeah, even even with like fans, I think going back into the stands in in some capacity at at the Superdome, like I, I still don't. I think that a seven and a half point spread it implies like a home field advantage that doesn't really exist. And if if it's neutral, I definitely don't like the saints more, uh, more than seven points against basically um, anyone with a pulse. So, so the Panthers definitely have a pulse. Um, so I see them keeping that, that one closer um, as well, even though the saints coming out of the bye. let's get on over to the bills going up against the jets bills, heavily favored in this one 13 point favorites. The The blooms come off the rose a little bit for the, for the bills in recent weeks that um, they, they, they were in a really tough spot, I thought, against Tennessee, maybe tougher than we thought um, at the time. With the with the Titans basically just being extremely fresh, the Bills not, not as much. And then uh, last week, I mean, it's just a game against the the Chiefs, and then the Chiefs kind of just allowed the or took the what the Bills were doing, where they were just dropping people way back, and you know, almost like playing like a prevent or something. And then they just decided to just hammer them with the run. So I'm sure the Bills weren't really expecting that whatever it was the the Chiefs ran all over them I don't see that happening again I think that's just a, a problem when you go up against the Chiefs they can just kill you in so many different ways so going up against the Jets that that should get the bills I, I think back on track and, and be a bit of a, a slump buster type type of game for them uh, in the Meadowlands
2: yeah definitely they will uh, just totally torch the Jets I, I don't know what kind of spread is realistic but Uh, Allen already lit them up once and there's a lot of there's a lot of obvious reasons for that the strengths of the Bills offense match up really well with the weaknesses of the Jets defense and the Jets offense is uh, I don't know the the most disgraceful NFL offense of all time or something. So uh, yeah, the Bills might win by like 40. I don't know.
1: Yeah, I, I can see it. I guess, like, um, if you're looking, you know, from a fantasy perspective, beyond the obvious guys, um, do you think that, like, Zach Moss could, could enter the the fold as, like, a, a flex in deeper leagues this week? Um, is there anything on the Jets' side w- worth taking a look at beyond Jamison Crowder, uh, that sort of thing?
2: Uh, I mean, not, nobody but Crowder on the Jets' side. It's hard to tell what is going on with Moss, because he, he didn't really play a whole lot last week, and maybe he's not... Over the toe injury or whatever. I assume that was turf toe that he had because otherwise I don't know why he would miss the particular amount of time that he did. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it is turf toe, it's the kind of thing that might not even now be fully gone. So we'll see. Uh, I do think Moss is basically as good of a player as Singletary, but they gave Singletary pretty much all the reps last week.
1: Yeah, he yeah he had a, a pretty big stranglehold on that backfield last week. We'll see if it, if it changes this week, but but yeah, I think an, we're probably at least another week away from, from Moss re, regaining fantasy relevance, which is un, unfortunate because this is, like you said, the, the last time that they'll be facing off against the Jets this season. Support for this podcast
0: comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. <laughs> I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, America, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly.
1: Let's get on over to the Lions going up against the Falcons. This one an over under of 55 and a half. I think one of the biggest fantasy takeaways from last weekend was DeAndre Swift's breakout. And, you know, he got usage down by the goal line a few times and converted on that. You know, and that's usually kind of the area where it's going to be like Adrian Peterson is going to be like his peak annoyingness when, when he's getting all the goal line work, because of course he is. Swift ended up getting some and obviously had his breakout game. I saw you tweet tweet a little bit about DeAndre Swift, but do you think that this is going to continue? Is this a you know the official DeAndre Swift season uh, starting now, or or is this going to be um, a flash in the pan? That that game against the Jaguars, where that they go back to being that frustrating backfield to figure out. I think it'll still
2: have some Adrian Peterson involvement, but Swift is basically arrived now. I think. Uh, it's probably the way the, the way Matt Patricia's brain probably works is like, oh, this is not me being proven wrong. DeAndre Swift having this big game against the Jaguars, this doesn't mark a failure on my part to get this player doing this earlier in the season. This is DeAndre Swift getting good at this particular second and having been bad before then and me correct the entire way through, including now. So I think he thinks like, yep, I did that. I made I made DeAndre Swift a good running back. He became a good running back today against the Jaguars. And I'm so proud of um, what I've done here. And now he is allowed to play ahead of the 35 year old who the Washington team cut in final cuts over Peyton Barber. So, yeah, I think they'll keep going with Swift because I don't think Patricia needs to keep doing like the withholding thing. Um, I think I think the way his brain works, it's like my my work here is done. Okay.
1: All right. So <laughs> it, yeah, I, I think that definitely tracks it. it. feels like, yeah, he had some sort of like made up threshold to, to, okay, now he's not a rookie anymore. We're a few games into the season. Um, but either way it feels like Swift is going to be, you know, someone that if you had the patience and, and held on through those lean times earlier in the season, I think that you're about to be rewarded. Um, had a bit of an interesting conversation with, with a friend earlier today. He was looking to upgrade his running back position, um, trying to really empty the clip for, for Clyde Edwards Hilaire. And I'm not saying that, that any had Swift on his bench, and I'm not saying that Swift is better one-to-one that, than Edwards Hilaire for the rest of this season. But I think as it stands right now, if you held on to Swift this long, I think that you, you go with him. And I think that like Edwards Hilaire after last week, like that, there's no bigger like sell high type of moment for him that, that there's going to be the rest of the season. I think that that's going to be his high watermark. And uh, once we get uh, further down into the season and Le'Veon Bell is back for the, for the chiefs that or gets going for the chiefs, um, we could see more frustrating usage for, for Edwards Hilaire himself too. John, do I need to say it?
2: This is a homecoming game for Deandre Swift.
1: (sighs) There we go. Him and him and Todd Gurley dapping up at, at midfield, a couple of Georgia goats. I love that. Um, on the other side of this one, speaking of, of you know the Falcons, how do they match up? How do they set up? Um, you know they they obviously have a pretty imp- high implied total here, twenty nine points. Is their implied total at home that the offense got back in gear? A bit this past week uh, going up against the Vikings. That, that was pretty surprising. But the Vikings, I think their defense had probably been overperforming what, what it should have been in like its mini, mini hot streak, I, I guess you could say. I don't even know. It was more like a flash in the pan type of thing. Um, but anyway, Falcons no longer under the the yoke of of Dan Quinn uh, was last week's offensive reawakening, something that we can continue to count on.
2: Um. I think against a defense like the Lions it should be fine. I don't think the Falcons are as effective as like their talent at receiver. Uh or, or I don't think they I don't think there is like uh, well polished as an offense as much as they just kind of had like a huge talent advantage over those Vikings corners cuz it's actually kind of comical to think Cam Dansler is covering Julio Jones. <laughs> like can you like, what did we think was going to happen? Right. So it's it's uh, it was an easy setup. Like, if the, if the Falcons hadn't done that, uh, or had a, a good game at least. Like, I, I guess I can acknowledge that they had, you know, a, a legitimately explosive game. Uh, or Matt Ryan did anyway. But they needed to. Like, if they didn't, that would have been kind of just, you know, th- throw them out. They're garbage now kind of thing. So with that said, though, we don't know if Trufant's going to be back. We don't know if he'll matter if he is back. Because... I'm not convinced Trufant can stop either of, <clears throat> or rather contain either of Ridley or Julio. Uh, Amani Awari or Ruariere or whatever seems pretty good at one corner spot, and Akuda probably be good eventually, but right now struggling. It's, I, I don't know if I expect like any real secondary to match up with those two receivers. Uh, certainly not like both at the same time. And if there is if there is any, it's it's not the Lions that I'm considering f- for that position. So I have to believe that at least one of Ridley or Julio has a big game here. And if they have any limitations, it would basically be due to Dirk Cutter running the ball in, in an obnoxiously high volume. Or it has to be just that uh, Gage or Hurst had a big game.
1: Oh, and, you know, i would I have a hard time seeing the, the Gage Hurst uh, double breakout in, in this one, so I think it should channel the the way that uh, we, we kind of expected it to earlier in the season and a bit last week when it comes to this Falcons offense, um, you know, I'm a little salty because I've I, I completely lost the faith in Matt Ryan and this offense. And then, of course, he goes off last week on my bench. Well, so to be clear,
2: they go back to not so great all of a sudden if Julio isn't out there. Like, it, it's really him and really doing a lot of lifting.
1: And, and it's like the whole offense turns to crap if Julio's out yep yep it sure does um all right let's move on over we got the Browns going up against the Bengals this is the second time these teams have faced off this season we saw them in that Thursday night game uh earlier on in the year I think that was week two the Browns got the win there the Bengals with with the tremendous backdoor cover if I remember correctly in that one so uh still shout out to Joe Burrow for that one but uh this one Bengals they're at home uh the Browns three-point favorites in this one the Browns have looked good against bad teams they, they did beat, they did beat Indianapolis but I mean Phillip Rivers is, is god-awful in his own right the Browns have gotten exposed against the the two big dogs in that division pretty pretty hard I think Baker's kind of dinged up right now too uh, you know he got he got roughed up a lot in that Indianapolis game and I think it carried over into last week and that that certainly wasn't a spot where it was going to get much easier so, how do you see um, this game shaking out for um, on either side? Well,
2: um, T. Higgins is a different question this time around than last. Like, I know he had six, he had sixty snaps in that game, but that was basically his first start. He he was he had only logged fifteen NFL snaps going into that game, and now he's at a, you know going on three hundred. So that's including last week where he really had a big game and a tough matchup. So. If Higgins is the kind of guy who can take on a, a pretty big volume, which he has done lately, and if he if he can be better than most receivers, even though he's uh, not twenty two until January, uh, obviously he's a rookie. This this is a player who's probably going to be a star pretty soon, Let's I think. Go. And yes. uh, it's it's just kind of like. It, it, what it, in the meantime, like what is a fair expectation of a player like that? Where it's like we know by now that it's more when than if, but uh, it's hard to tell wh- when that point of time is. It could be now. Uh, last week, it kind of looked like it was now, but uh, I, I can't tell if I'm kind of like getting ahead of myself, expecting him to sort of carry weekly momentum effectively. Like I mean, a lot of rookies kind of hit a wall, go up and down over the course of the year. Sure. So maybe he's due for that. And AJ green did play better last week than he had since week one. So um, maybe, maybe the the two of them just kind of like even out a little bit from here, but one of them in this game has to go against Denzel ward a little bit more than the other. I think, I think it might be Higgins who goes against ward for the most part, but ward was seeing a lot of green the first game and was uh, generally winning that matchup uh, Higgins versus Ward will be interesting. Cause you can imagine those guys both being all pros uh, like a year or two from now. And Higgins has a size advantage. So I think I, I, I feel like the passing game matchup wise is still good for the Bengals because if, if AJ Green's playing like last week and if Higgins is what he looks like he is, then of course, additionally Boyd in the slot, that that's an, that's an advantage probably, uh, or at least a, a real healthy option for, for the Bengals passing game. So the the Garrett pass rush question, Sheldon Richardson and Ogunjobi, I, I should also mention, like they can shut down Burrow and, and really make his life a nightmare. But man, if they could just get like a three-step drop done effectively in this offense, these receivers, these receivers should be able to get a little bit open, I think. And um, on the other side, it's pretty much just, you know, Kareem Hunt, I guess.
1: OK, yeah, I mean, it, it's been yeah pretty, pretty tough to find. I mean, it feels like that Cowboys game was not even from this season, almost the, the way that, like the rest of their offensive performances have gone uh, in Cleveland. But, um, you know, th- this is a matchup against the Bengals that they aren't particularly strong on the defensive side of the ball. So Kareem Hunt should be able to get going. Um, if you invested in in one of those backups behind Hunt, uh, are you like ready to cut bait at this point? And what's what are you doing with like a Dearness Johnson?
2: Um, I don't know. They if if not this week or a week like this, I guess they have no use. But I guess, um, looks like William Jackson might be out, and Darius Phillips at the other corner. It uh, looks like he's got some kind of illness that he's dealing with. So this this Bengals defense might and there's that whole Gino Atkins Dunlap thing. I don't even know what's going on there. Um, th- that defense might be pretty beat up. So uh, you can you can like Odell Beckham, of course, even even if the the matchup had William Jackson and Darius Phillips. But if they're out and especially if William Jackson is out, then that's that's actually quite a big green light for uh, Beckham, too. And, and
1: I guess, you know, Landry. Those guys can definitely get open. Uh, it's just a matter of can Baker actually get them the ball. That that always seems to be the limit. Maybe factor. not,
2: but you know who can? Case Keenum.
1: Case Keenum absolutely can, brother. Um, all right, let's get on over to Packers-Texans. You know, a real classic rivalry uh, between these two teams. I, I actually can't recall a single time these teams have played. Um, uh, it's the Sam con Gatto uh, <laughs> channel or whatever. Oh. I need to subscribe to that. I would pay way extra for the Sam Con channel. Um, but either way, uh, we got the Packers three and a half point favorites on the road. in this one, the Texans, they showed some signs of life um, really taking Tennessee to the brink this past week. Uh, the Packers. I I, st- I still don't know what to completely make of that game against Tampa Bay. I mean, Rodgers threw those two picks on back-to-back drives or whatever it was, and, and things just kind of really fell apart from there and never really got back on track, and Tampa just kind of put the chokehold on them from there. Obviously, they don't expect the Texans to be able to, to have that same level of luck, but was last week a bit of a, a, cor- a needed correction to how hot of a start Rodgers has had this season and maybe you know he, he's not last week but maybe he's not what he was those first four games of the season either
2: probably something like that I mean he he obviously wasn't going to finish the year with 6,000 passing yards and 60 touchdowns and zero interceptions so he had to have something correct at some point point. and uh, without a game like that you know maybe maybe he'll he would have gone another month without anything going wrong in a game like this one you definitely would get a little concerned about Rodgers if he has uh, any special difficulties here because the Texans are a crap team. At least their defense I should say is pretty much crap. Like they they can't really stop the run. Roby's a pretty good corner, Reed is a pretty good safety, but they just can't really cover beyond that. And granted the Packers are light on options, but I think the way it would basically go is Devante Adams is a better receiver than Roby is a corner. So they have the advantage there. They should be able to generally go to Adams as much as they generally tend to. And Aaron Jones, even Jamal Williams should be able to run well on this Houston run defense. And if, if they choose to give AJ Dillon the ball, they'll make obvious how much he can do, but it seems like they're, it seems like they're almost trying to hide that. So they don't invite the expectation that they actually give him meaningful snaps. Uh, they want to keep Williams on the field and, Jones, of course, you know, he's, 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 he's capable of producing even against good defenses, which this definitely is not. So if Rogers struggles with those things all in his favor, even, even Valdez Scantling, I think is in a good spot in this game. Like, I think he's pretty limited, but if he's on the outside running against, uh, I don't know, Vernon Hargreaves or John Reed or something, then he should be able to get open downfield. So yeah, I like Valdez Scantling a bit. I don't know what happened with Equ- Equinemius last week. I can't tell if he didn't really play, if it was Shepard or someone like that played more. But um, if, if no one else is going to step up at receiver, then I, I think Valdez, Scantling, and Adams should both have room to produce here.
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, the, the, just the the lack of receiver depth that the, that the uh, Packers are working with is pretty remarkable. Once you get past uh, Devontae Adams, I mean, you know, Lazard looked like he was coming on, but you know, he's obviously injured right now, so it leaves them pretty thin. Like you said, it, it leaves open plenty of opportunity for MVS. It's just a matter of him being able to take advantage. It looks like Equinemius was um, was held out or limited. I'm sorry, in practice on Wednesday with with a knee issue. So we'll have to see um, what goes on with that. So he's still um,
2: hurt, apparently.
1: It's like, yeah. what the hell? So that's not, that's not great. And, and again, the, the Packers just don't really have a ton of, of able bodies beyond um, those top two guys right now. So it's a little bit of tough sledding. Uh, maybe it becomes Bob Tanyan week again. I, I'm hoping for that, but uh, not necessarily holding my breath either. I think he might have been on the injury report too, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he missed practice
2: yesterday. Yeah, so
1: that hurts my soul. Um, on the Texans side of things, Looks like this passing game is starting to click, and it's more than just Will Fuller. But uh, what what do you expect in this one? I, I know that we we often when we talk about the Packers, um, we're really beating the drum as far as how how talented that secondary is.
2: Yeah, at least uh, Jair Alexander and Chandon Sullivan are really good. Kevin King is actually terrible, and I right. can't believe they I can't believe they put him on the field. It's just embarrassing. But <laughs> Jair Alexander is insanely good, and how they choose to use him determines a lot of of how this game is likely to go and I don't know what they'll do they could choose to use him on Will Fuller all the time or they could choose or or they could decide that Cooks and Fuller are equals therefore maybe they'll decide it doesn't matter which like, like maybe they'll just leave Jair on one side and then they'll know like all right so then the other one's on Kevin King so we'll have to give him help And like that system makes enough sense to me. So maybe he'll just play on the left side. And if he plays on just one side, then Fuller and cooks would split the burden of going against Alexander. And I would, I I would actually consider Alexander the uh, upper hand over both of those guys. Like I think Will Fuller is a totally good receiver. Like two weeks ago had generally been underrated by most fantasy football observers. But Jair Alexander is, he's going to be like an all decade type of corner. And I, I think he, he is the kind of corner who can maybe shut down receivers like Fuller and, and cooks on the applicable snaps. So there might only be like 30 viable snaps for each of cook and fuller. Like it, and yet it could offset like going, if they go against King for 30 snaps each, like they could both have good games right there. Uh, and then even if they do nothing against all their Alexander snaps, so uh, Sullivan, will see a little bit of both of, of cooks, and Fuller, too, because both of those guys go in the slot occasionally. But Sullivan should more so be on Randall Cobb, who, you know, he has the revenge game, I yeah. guess. But you don't really want to you don't really want to go against Sullivan that much. You'd rather have a, a, a weaker target to go against.
1: OK, makes sense. So uh, with, with the idea of uh, the these top Texans receivers at least getting some exposure to Kevin King, that that should be enough for, for both of them to to have some production here on Sunday. Cowboys versus the football team, uh, a rivalry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what we, have, you say? we have we <laughs> have. It's the Kyle. I'll Allen, take the under. Yes, forty. Oh, Maybe it's not forty-six.
2: The Dallas oh, Dallas, Dallas, Dallas defense is
1: unreal. Today, okay, all right. So let's let's back up. So we got Dalton versus Kyle Allen. Uh, truly, one of the best quarterback matchups that that we'll see. All season.
2: Honestly, I would take Washington to win this because even if even if Gallup catches that touchdown against the Cardinals, it's like Dalton looked awful, of course, but he looked insanely bad. No team is worse coached than the Cowboys. Like this is this is absolutely Freddie Kitchens level bad. How <laughs> how how terrible they are, and it's it's unreal because you know I don't even think Dak Prescott is whatever like a top three quarterback or anything like that i I don't know who i would rank i don't don't know where i would rank you know him versus kyler or deshaun watson or anything like that and i I would have them all all three of them behind russell wilson and yet it really seems like they went from just the worst team of all time to kind of like a seven and nine eight and eight uh, you know nfc east competitive team with dak prescott and then with, with with dalton they just they couldn't do anything. I guess to be fair to Dalton, those offensive tackle injuries are pretty substantial, and the Absolutely. backups, by all accounts, are insanely bad. But uh, it's it's a joke of a team. It's it's offensively bad, and I think Kyle Allen, while trash, can throw the ball against this Dallas defense, which is just out of everything. It's out of talent. It's out of uh, focus. It's out of discipline. It's out of motor. There is no incentive for them to play well, even if they knew how, and by all accounts they don't. So Washington, at least, probably will play hard for Ron Rivera, which you can't really say for the Cowboys and McCarthy. Yeah, so,
1: that, yeah, the, the the leaks in the in the ship coming out of uh, Dallas are are pretty remarkable already. Just like the. Yeah. You, know, you see the anonymous quotes about how we, we don't know what we're doing. These, you know, we don't respect these coaches, basically. that was an it's...
2: NFL network reporter. I can't remember her name. Sorry. But like, if you're going to NFL network, like NFL media, if NFL's official state media is saying three Cowboys players called Mike McCarthy, quote, bozo this, <laughs> this morning, and then it's like that happened, and now they just have to go to practice all week, and Mike has to just kind of be like,
3: Hey everyone, not a
1: bozo. Uh,
2: I know you guys didn't say that. I wouldn't. That I know the those those media are lying or whatever. But it's like he knows three, and therefore basically every player on the team thinks that he is just a buffoon and does not respect him. And yet, gotta go to work. So uh, I'm sure that's great for worker productivity. And uh, yeah, they're. I, I think the wheels really fall off the rest of the way pretty much until uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe Jerry has to do like an unprecedented week uh, seven firing of the of first year hire or something like that.
1: Yeah. That um, who was the, the Cardinals coach from a couple of years ago. Wilkes. Uh, Wilkes, Wilkes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it could end up be, being like that. Um, a couple other things to, to mention about this game. So, I remember uh, week one of of the season, we talked about Philadelphia's injuries and how that, that might hurt them specifically against this Washington pass rush. Do we see something very similar happening in this one where the Washington pass rush completely collapses what the Cowboys try to do on offense?
2: Oh yeah. I mean, Dalton was getting a lot of pressure against the Cardinals, who did not have Chandler Jones. And Montez sweat Chase Young is you know, even without Matty andis and whoever else got hurt, it's like Chase Young and Montez Sweat, is a lot to deal with. These, the, even the backup left tackle who sucks uh, that the Cowboys had last week, I think he's out now. So oh,
1: they're no.
2: they're down to just like it's comical. Like we might not see worse tackle play, like worse overall offensive play than uh, I guess you know Kitchens was up there, but. Kitchens had some talent, I think, still bailing him out. I don't know if we'll see a player this la- like lacking in talent merit and this poorly coached going against defensive ends this good in a game. So it could be really ugly. with Mon- If the Adrian Claiborne game can happen with Adrian Claiborne, just imagine that scenario with Andy Dalton instead of Dak Prescott and Montez Sweat and Chase Young instead of Adrian Claiborne. Oh, like my. With like
1: 25 sacks. Let's go. And yeah. then uh, one la- one last thing uh, regarding the football team on the offensive side. Uh, Terry McLaurin has had a few uh, very strong games thus far this He's year. He's going to
2: Yes, okay, but he thing.
1: has just one touchdown. So is this the true, like, is he going to correct things? Is he going to, you know, like if catch Dallas two?
2: Keeps, if Dallas keeps playing at an up-tempo offense and failing at the velocity they have been, then Terry McLaurin is going to get volume and it's like speeding within, up
1: the belt to go into the wood chipper.
2: Yeah, and if he gets enough volume, an explosive event will occur. Like it's always just a matter of time with him. And you're yeah, you're you're hitting fast forward.
1: Let's go. Okay, I'm I'm so ready for scary Terry week. Um,
2: I also like both McKissick and Gibson. I I think that they both have like flex PPR usefulness this week, and Gibson is in a position to kind of really have the light go on here. Oh,
1: I would love that as well. Big, big Gibson guy here too. Um, let's get on over. We we got one of the bigger, more important AFC matchups. One that we we have had to wait a little bit on, but I th- I think the suspense has built since uh, you know this game initially got got uh, postponed. We got the Steelers going up against the Titans. Titans at home, uh, narrow one and a half point favorites in this one. The Steelers. I mean, they they've looked great so far this year. No one can really deny that. Um but again that they, they haven't really played a great team yet. So this I'll is their it. this is their biggest test. And they also don't have Devin Bush, which I think is a is a pretty significant loss um, to their defense. And the Titans, it looks like they're they're a little bit ahead of schedule. Like they didn't start hitting this type of rhythm until like I felt like November, maybe late November last season when the when the Titans started to look like that team that made a deep playoff run. They already look like they're in that form. So this is this is going to be a great game on Sunday, I think.
2: Yeah, it's a tough one for me to figure out because I feel like it's a pretty combustible set of characteristics between these teams, like specifically, especially the Titans offense versus the Pittsburgh defense because the Titans, uh, you know, they're not exactly infallible on offense, but they've they've been very explosive, and the, the, the ways that they've been explosive going back to last year are repeatable, like it's almost time-tested at this point. You know Tannehill can't really be a 40 pass attempt quarterback who you know looks at five wide every play and just dices up the defense but if you give him this derrick henry threat to leverage against the defense and if you give him a receiver like aj brown johnny smith to give him after the catch underneath and aj brown the the play action threat more downfield and intermediate we've seen Tannehill put up this really high touchdown rate uh you know supplementing both of those threats a little bit with the bootleg runs that he makes occasionally and Cumulatively, that's really difficult for a defense to stop. And the bet that the Steelers defense has always made uh, has just been like, well, we'll blitz you a lot and you won't be able to do the things that you normally do. But if you don't blitz successfully against the kind of plays that the Titans call, which is, you know, the longer developing play action to get AJ Brown free upfield. It's like, if you, it's easy to, it's easy for Tannehill to get blindsided on that play and drop the ball. But if they pick up that blitz, do you really think Joe Hayden's stopping that play if, if Tannehill gets that drop in and he sets his feet and, and A.J. Brown breaks the, the stem of the route? It's like, do you think the Steelers can, can win in that situation? That's not really where they win. They win by sacking the quarterback or hitting the quarterback when he's throwing the ball. So there's these like little points I- I- in the game where there's going to be these like photo finishes at these, these little you know cho- choke points. Of, of various players competing at various spots in the structure of the play and, and little degrees of difference can mean the, uh, you know the difference between uh, a, a sack or a, a sack force fumble fumble recovery and a.j brown scoring a 60 yard touchdown and just you know stiff arming steven nelson into the sideline so it's, it's stuff like that and of course if you blitz too aggressively that johnny smith screenplay can hurt you if you blitz on the run play and you some guy loses his containment on Derrick Henry, that's how you get those 80-yard touchdowns from Henry. So there's there's all these ways that the Titans can go really explosively against the the Steelers, and the Steelers kind of bring those scenarios upon themselves as just like the velocity of their defense. And and it's like the question of who wins just depends on whether the the Steelers, you know, whether they're they're gambles that they usually take pay off because if they don't it comes at a really high price
1: that's a great way of, of laying out um, how how things are going to go when the Titans have the ball uh, let's get on to the Steelers offense and how they set up it against Tennessee uh, we know that Chase Claypool is coming on really well um, we know that Juju Smith-Schuster has been a, a disappointment in, as far as like how he's being deployed thus far this season James Washington got in on the action last week I mean everyone basically did it against uh, the Browns. So. How does this set up as far as they're concerned going up against Tennessee?
2: Well, I still don't know what I think about the Tennessee defense. Like I thought they had bad rushing defense going into last week, but their personnel was supposed to be good at it, so I don't, I don't know if I expect them to get better. They're still allow, allowing over uh, five yards per carry to running backs on the year, not allowing anything through the air, which is interesting, but... Uh, We'll, we'll see how that maybe that's Jay on Brown responsible for that. And maybe maybe we can continue to expect them to, to play tough against Connor in the passing game. But if the Steelers can get Connor in the running game going, then that's something for them to work with. And, you know, that with, with receivers like they have, the depth of receivers that they have, it always forces the defense to kind of respect that even if Roethlisberger isn't hitting these downfield targets, which he still isn't. And I I have no idea what to make of that. Like, I actually do kind of wonder, was it bad for him to lose weight? Maybe he's never been much of an arm throwing quarterback. Like maybe he was always just like, he, he would just kind of like his gut and like the, the anchor strength of the gut, like rooting into the earth, (laughs) the ball forward. And like, now he's, he's just like this, this scarecrow of a man who's just trying to, you know, throw a fastball when he only threw 91 in the first place or something like that. So maybe maybe he just doesn't have quite the setup that he needs to to make these downfield throws. Or maybe they're not trying to go downfield. But that would be a weird thing to do. It's it's weird to use uh, Juju and uh, James Washington as underneath as they have this year. While also using Deontay Johnson mostly as an underneath receiver, and even Claypool with these big plays that he's making, so much of it is after the catch. Like there was that that one was kind of downfield, but even after that, it's like okay, that was that was basically a thirty-yard throw. He still ran for the other forty-five or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, like if if Roethlisberger can't make those throws, then I don't know if he he's in a spot to do much lifting in this game because. Like granted, they can spread out the field. They can they can really test the depth of this Tennessee defense, which doesn't have much in the secondary. It's like Chris Jackson, their slot corner this year, is a seventh round guy out of Marshall, who I didn't, I still don't really know who he is. And it's like, do we think Kenny Vaccaro can cover James Washington or, or Juju Smith-Schuster or whatever? It's like, probably not. There's probably ways that the, the Roethlisberger can get guys, but if Roethlisberger is some form of busted right now, then he doesn't really. It, it, like he doesn't want guys like Malcolm Butler and Kevin Byard sitting on his or Jayon Brown sitting on these underneath routes. Like if if you just throw underneath over and over and over on guys like that, you're generally going to ask for trouble. You want to take Malcolm Butler downfield. Like you want you want to make his lack of speed a problem for him. Because if you play this underneath game against him, like we saw with those two interceptions, and he's been doing it his whole career, it's like he's just really good at p- kind of like playing in the mud. Under underneath corner like he, he's he, he just kind of makes takeaways because he's good at anticipating those those tendencies like that he doesn't make those plays because he's so fast he's a pretty mm-hmm. slow corner but I don't know if the Steelers can threaten him that way and Bayard of course is you know maybe the best ball hawk in the whole league so I, I think there's some ways that it can go wrong for the Steelers if they need to throw the ball and so I think it's pretty important that that they get Connor going on the ground here.
1: Okay, that definitely makes sense. I think you laid out a great case there as far as uh, Roethlisberger and maybe, maybe a bit of... Um, you know, walking on thin ice as far as the, the way the production has gone so far and, and maybe how it will age into the season, be, because, you know, we, we're starting to see um, a tougher stretch here for, for them. Uh, they obviously already had their bye um, so that they got a lot of games to play in a row and they got some tough teams, you know, in the in the offing here, Tennessee and at Baltimore, both road games coming up here in these next two weeks. Let's get on over we got the Cardinals versus the Seahawks this I assume will kind of be like the the kind of centerpiece of the DFS slate for this weekend I mean we, we got a over under checking in at 56 with, with a narrow spread of the, the Seahawks uh, three and a half point favorites in this one on the road in Arizona Seahawks coming off the bye Cardinals coming off the impressive Monday night win the shellacking of, of the Cowboys for lack of a better word um, but Kyler Murray didn't really D- do a ton of damage efficiency-wise through the air against the, the Cowboys. The, the shots that he did hit, obviously, what went for, for big plays, of course, and, and touchdowns and things like that, but he wasn't particularly sharp in a lot of ways on Monday night. But again, d- d- can the Seahawks, with, with their defensive secondary personnel, uh, really make that hurt when, when it comes to Murray?
2: It'll be interesting. I tend to think the spread is too generous to the Cardinals. I feel like the, the Seahawks are clearly the better team here and the ways that we, we think of the Cardinals keeping up in a game like this or or being potent. It's like, I don't know if it really works that well. Uh, Granted, I I don't know. I don't remember off the top of my head, how Murray did against the Seahawks last year, but um, we'll see. It says resting slash knee for Quinton Dunbar Wednesday when he sat out of practice. If Dunbar is out there, then that means they have both Dunbar and Shaq Griffin at outside corner which means that one of those two guys will be on DeAndre Hopkins every single play. And it will generally be one of the two more than the other. It's just that uh, because the the Cardinals pretty much only use DeAndre Hopkins on the left side, Uh, but even when he's not on the left side, he will still be on a corner who's pretty good. Now that's, that's not enough to like move you off Hopkins or anything. Like he he still should have a good game. He's still got to be like top three kind of, especially in PPR kind of fantasy play this week. But, it's unlikely that Hopkins has an above baseline, uh, you know, really explosive game against corners as good as Dunbar and, and Griffin and corners who specifically are built like him. Like the, it's it's the receiver like Hopkins that corners like Dunbar and Griffin are built for. So I don't see him getting anything really easily going. Christian Kirk going against those two guys. That's that's a problem for Kirk, too. It's like he's he's a little bit. Better positioned, I think, to kind of maybe twist one of their ankles on a a break in the stem of a route. But that's still tough coverage outside. So Larry Fitzgerald, of all people, needs to step up. Whoever's in the (laughs) slot needs to step up. And if that's what it comes down to, then it's like, okay, Seahawks by, I don't know,
1: 13, something like that. Okay, yeah, so the, so the the Cardinals it's definitely on them to to play at a higher level th- this week because again, Kyler Murray just nine of 24 against Dallas this past week and we, we know, you know wh- where Dallas is and, and you know we also know where where Seattle is, and we know also that Seattle um, isn't going to be just give, giving up all these empty drives and turnovers the way the Cowboys were to, to put the Cardinals in favorable positions on Monday night so that I mean Russell Wilson, the way that he's playing right now, I mean, and especially after after Rogers' slip up last week, I, I think that he is, is, you know, inside track for the MVP right now. So him going up against his Cardinals team, that's gonna put a lot of pressure on the Cardinals offense to keep pace.
2: Yeah, and I I don't think they're gonna run especially well. I mean, Drake is the same guy that he was last year, and he had one of his biggest games against the Seahawks. But if I remember right, that was when Bobby Wagner was playing on a bum knee or something like that, slash it's going to be harder to stick to the run now that the Seahawks are throwing the ball in the first quarter and Russell Wilson like never missing the whole while he does it. So I don't know if they will be in a position to give out a whole lot of carries in this game. And if they're throwing the ball, every play there's going to be some ugly plays like Murray's going to have to run, but I don't know how much he's going to do it or how, how successful he's going to be running the ball when there's, you know, when there's linebackers as fast as Wagner and KJ Wright and even this Cody Barton, It's just it's, there's going to be dead ends outside. And right now the, the the Cardinals don't have any way of functioning except through Hopkins. And it's like, we knew they were running on, you know, borrowed time with that one. You can't just keep throwing 18 targets at the left receiver. Who's just running like these same bland routes over and over. It's like teams will find a way to scheme for that. Sure. And they kind of got Kirk going last week, but even Kirk, it's like, he's going to be running against whoever isn't on, on, on Hopkins. And, and again, like Griffin and Dunbar, They're on both sides. You can't just get away from them unless you go in the slot. So maybe they start, maybe Cliff Kingsbury starts moving around Hopkins or Kirk into the slot. But if he doesn't, I don't see where they have any sort of good prospect on offense.
1: Okay. And then one more to touch on when it, when it comes flipping back over to the Seahawks for a minute, Uh, Metcalf and Lockett Are they like both top 10 receivers for you this week?
2: Yeah, there's probably a case to make them both top five because in the event that Murray does have a good game, then the Seahawks have to kind of just respond, you know, and the extent to that they produce is just based on how much they want to. And, and if the, if the Cardinals compel them to want to throw the ball 40 times, then Russell Wilson's throwing for 450 yards. So, uh, it's just kind of dependent on what the Arizona offense does, I think.
1: Okay. All right. Good stuff there. Let's get on over. We got the 49ers going up against the Patriots. Uh, Back East in New England, we got the Patriots one and a half point favorites in this one. The Patriots uh, have sputtered out a little bit that, you know, a pretty surprising loss to the Broncos last week in Cam Newton's return, the 49ers. You just never know what you're going to get from those guys on on a week to week basis that they just get steamrolled by the Dolphins. And then, of course, perk back up against a division rival last weekend not without some injuries, though, of course, you know, with Raheem Mostert um, likely to be placed on the IR, got, got another ankle issue for for him. So it's been a, a banged up year for him. What can this 49ers offense do against this Patriots defense?
2: I don't really know. I never have. It's always a fluctuating sense for me about like how good the Patriots run defense is. It seems like, it, like some years they're pretty good and some years they're pretty bad, but they always still kind of that blitz-heavy turnover-aiming sort of defense, and so maybe when they have their bad run defense stretches, it's because they were kind of just not really trying to defend it. And maybe in a game like this, they'll approach it differently and, and get better results, I don't know. Uh, so far, they've been pretty tough against running backs, and it's not, it's not, the, it's not the question with the 49ers offense that, that ever really matters. It's always like, how do you deal with Kittle? And if, if you start to struggle with Kittle, does it tear apart your whole defense and, and get you know Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk going on these jet sweeps? Like, Do you entirely lose your composure? Uh, it's stuff like that that it, it comes down to with the 49ers offense. And it's it's at once um, – it's easier said than done slowing down Kittle. But like we've seen it happen. We've seen Garoppolo have these games where he more or less needs Kittle to get going, but it just – it isn't really happening. And then if Kittle doesn't go, we realize, oh, yeah, we can't even really – so much as get Debo Samuel or Brandon Ayuk to run a slant. It's like, it's all jet sweeps. And if, if the jet sweeps aren't set up, right, you know, the defense is just sitting on an end around basically. So they have a particular like synchron. There's like a rhythm they need to get into for it all to work. And I kind of, I, not to say like Shanahan won't have his own good ideas, but it's like, if anybody is going to have an idea of what Shanahan will do, a guy like Belichick is probably it. Mm. And I, I just, Can't really get my hopes up for Garoppolo. Granted, the Rams defense is pretty good. uh, Probably better than the dolphins. Although the dolphins have been getting a lot better in recent weeks. Um, But I, I just, I feel like it's like last week was the lucky game or something. And like, now there's kind of a, a tax to pay. And, Kittle is, of course, great and he can take over the game. But as far as all of it working like it did last week, I don't really see that. So uh, on the other hand, it's like if if Cam is struggling, I don't know what's a fair expectation of the, the New England offense. And if the game gets reduced to a grinded out kind of thing, I guess I prefer Shanahan just because I think he's he's good at kind of scheming, scheming little things open here and there. And, and that matters when neither side has like an obvious talent advantage in the backfields. So, uh, but I I do think Cam has a better game here and I know all the money coming in is lowering the over-under giving four points to, to the 49ers after opening five and a half New England is down to one and a half I think Cam simply didn't have much practice time last week against a defense that's really well coached and I think the 49ers are only a pretty good defense that is only pretty well coached I don't think there's Like Vic Fangio could do a lot more with that 49ers defense than Robert Saleh can. And so um, based on that, I kind of like the chances of the of the Cam Newton offense getting back on track here. And if it does, I don't think Garoppolo can keep up, really.
1: Okay, that's an interesting detail, because I think a lot of people are writing off the Patriots offense after after last week. But like you said, it's a little bit more to it than that. Vic Fangio, of course, a great defensive coach. Broncos have plenty of talent on on that side of the ball. so uh, that with with the limited practice time, like you said, um, laid, laid out a, a tough spot uh, for that Patriots offense maybe they get it back going a little bit more than than what the uh, the betting market would suggest. This week against San Francisco. All right, let's get on over. We were just talking about the Broncos, so let's let's see how they fare this week going up against the Chiefs. The Chiefs nine and a half point favorites in this one. I think there might be some weather in this one um, involved. That's why the over under maybe is is checking in at just forty six. It's it's in Denver, um, but again, there, there could be some weather in the in this one. So, uh, what are your what are your thoughts on this game?
2: Um, I'm going to try to pull up a forecast on that one, but. It's, it's interesting because granted it's not September it's not 85 degrees or something but you know mile high' is always worth stopping and thinking for a second about what effect that might have and particularly with Fangio like I, I don't think he's a particularly good head coach but it's pretty difficult to question his insight as a defensive game planner. It's like the, the defense has gotten pretty good or sorry defense has gotten really good results since pretty much the second half of last year. And it's without much talent. It's like Bouye has been hurt, Von Miller has been hurt. Uh, granted, they have Chubb this year, but they didn't last year. It's like they get they get these guys like Josie Jewell to put up numbers. Uh, I think it's I think it's because Fangio just really really good as a defensive coordinator now. Uh, having a good enough plan, like having a plan that's just so good, you stop the Chiefs is not really something that happens a whole lot. Nope. Uh, it, it happens like once or twice a year, and like maybe maybe it can happen in a setting like. But it, it seems like they don't really have the personnel to deal with any of the Chiefs offense. It's, uh, maybe they'll maybe they'll have a good defensive game plan. But I think they basically have to catch Andy Reid off guard. And that's one of those things like it's possible. But it, it kind of feels like at most like a one out of five kind of thing. And uh, the Denver offense is so weird. Um, was, was Gordon called out last week for illness reasons?
1: They, yeah, they left him back in Denver
2: okay so and they're saying apparently there's nothing covid related there so um i assume that melvin gordon will be available here maybe i shouldn't i don't know what's going on there but if gordon's there that's that kind of helps give them like a baseline as an offense lindsey of course can can play too but i I think gordon gives them a better uh, passing threat from any given look than lindsey does and that could be important because Jerry Judy, I assume, will see a lot of Tyron Matthew. And Tyron Matthew has been pretty much lights out as the Chiefs uh, slot corner since they started putting him there in the second half of last year. I can't really imagine Judy has the advantage there. No. Nope. So uh, even if Fant is back, even if Albert Okwagwanum Albert does something, it just doesn't seem like the Broncos have like realistic firepower. And it's like they, they need Mahomes to, to have not just – a less than great game. Like they didn't have a bad game, which, uh, you know, I guess that's why we're seeing a nine and a half point spread stay strong, even as the over under drops four points.
1: Mm-hmm. So when, when it comes down to that, that game plan, and we, we've talked about the, the Broncos ability there on, on that, on the defensive side of the ball, um, I've seen, you know, on Twitter, uh, people talking about how the people are starting to play the chiefs deep and just kind of they're get they're surrendering the yeah. run to the Chiefs just so that they don't get torched by Tyreek Hill and, and Miko Hardman. And, you know, I mean, Travis Kelsey, there, there's not a whole lot that you can really do to, to stop him one way or the other. But either way, is do you think the Broncos may, maybe do that again and, and try to just play deep and take away the kill shot and just die slower with, with you know, by a thousand paper cuts by giving up the run to the Chiefs?
2: I think uh, with Fangio, you have to worry about him having it both ways. Like You have to worry about him playing deep, but then also having a good idea against the run. So like I'm, I, I think it's a good enough matchup for Edward Soler in that it's just, you know, you're on the Chiefs, you're a 10-point favorite. Best not overthink it at that point. But in terms of the matchup, you know, the, the, the te- more tedious details of the matchup and the schemes... I wouldn't specifically get my hopes up for the, the chiefs to have like a big advantage in that part of the game. I think their advantage in the game will have more to do with kind of like time of terms of possession, like, you know, seeing shorter fields,
1: better scoring opportunities, things like that. Okay. All right. That that definitely checks out. Um, anything else to add to this game?
2: Uh, I wish, I wish Andy Reid would stop trying to adopt Demarcus Robinson every week. It's kind of,
1: kind of lame. I agree. Um, let's get on. We got the Jags going up against the Chargers. couple of fun young quarterbacks in this one. Uh, over under at 49. Chargers 7.5 point favorites in this one. This game taking place in L.A. Chargers coming off the bye. The Jags coming off um, a, another disappointing matchup against the Lions this past week. Um, what do you make of this game?
2: I'm kind of worried for the Jaguars because... I don't think Minshew's that good. And granted, I have like the greatest grip on, on what exactly the, the Chargers' defense is nowadays, but I think their personnel is largely built to stop a quarterback like Minshew. And certainly a, a receiver like Keelan Cole, they're, they're well positioned to slow down. And Laviska Shenault has, has a lot of weight on these Chargers' corners, but it's like, how actionable is that really? Like, the, the idea, like, he, You know, you can't just you can't just say like we're just going to run after the we're just going to break tackles at receiver uh, our way to victory. It's like that's that's one of those things that can be like a nice sprinkle on top of of a good play that's otherwise structurally sound. But you can't just give three yard slants to Lavisca Chenault and hope that he breaks Casey Hayward's tackle or Michael Davis's tackle or Dion or uh, Desmond King's tackle. Uh, And meanwhile, it's like Chark being both kind of gimpy. And Chark, to be clear can light up any of these corners. And I, I would normally, if he had like a, a quarterback that I trusted more, I would say like, that's my GPP guy right there. Cause Casey Hayward cannot run with him even a little bit. And even if like Michael Davis can run with him a little bit, but even him, not that much. And, and Hayward and King, he Chark would just dust them. But sure. I worry about the pass rush getting to Minshew. And I, I can imagine Chark not having the time to get open and Keelan Cole, doesn't want to see corners like Hayward and King and Chenault. It's just, I don't know what he, I don't know if he can do much more than like 70, 80 yards a game most of the time right now in his good days. So uh, it's, I can see it kind of falling apart and the Jacksonville defense sucks. So it's hard to see them putting up much resistance against the chargers.
1: Okay. And and speaking of that defense and, and it potentially being in a tough spot here, um try to spell out for us what this uh, running back rotation is going to look like. Is it, you know, fair to say maybe that in Eckler's absence that Jackson, Justin Jackson gets the Eckler role and and like the upgrade that was perceived once uh, Eckler went out that that could have gone to Kelly uh, might just be 100% weighed on to Jackson.
2: Uh, it might
1: be. I don't know if it
2: like he definitely can't do Eckler stuff, so uh, like he can take maybe some sort of similar share of the offense, but it will have to look different, not just in the lesser returns, but it's just like aesthetically it has to look different. Like he he can't do the physical feats that Eckler can. So uh, I, I think Jackson is the kind of guy who can play a little bit. Like he has some skill for sure, and he, he's a pretty quick – he's a very quick running back. But the problem is, I don't know how applicable his traits are toward the actual tasks of NFL football because he's so skinny. Uh, it's like he's he's an inch or two taller than Kelly, but 15 pounds lighter, and he's slower than Kelly. Uh, so the fact that he's very quick in the in the you know in a vacuum, it's like, well, what is that worth when you're taking on these deficits in other areas? To me, he's the kind of guy who can give you like 15 explosive snaps here or there, but any more than that, you're you're going to have to get you're going to have to be okay with diminished returns and probably him getting nicked up at some point. So I don't, I don't think he can burn very hot for very long. Whereas I think Kelly can sustainably play running back in the NFL. And I know Kelly's had some dud box scores and, you know, playing 17 snaps less than Jackson last week shows that Jackson's ahead in sort of like the hurry up situations and the pass mm-hmm. catching. But I think that's also kind of just in in at least somewhat recognition of how they're putting all of the rushing burden on Kelly if it comes to it. So they, they have the slightly distinguished roles, as you were talking about. Um, but I don't think Jackson always has like the scenario like last week. And in a, particularly in a game like this, I think um, after the first quarter or so, it more so sets up for a kind of Kelly script
1: Interesting. OK, all right. That, you know, the Chargers were definitely not more than touchdown favorites in New Orleans last time that they played. So, yeah, the, the script could inform the, the way that they end up splitting up that those running back tasks. So that it's a good point. You know, maybe don't drink the Kool-Aid too much on, on Josh Kelly. I mean, you would have to yet. probably rank Jackson ahead of him this
2: week for, you know, PPR being the industry standard. But uh, it's like if, if there's rushing touchdowns in this game, I like it much better to go to Kelly than Jackson.
1: Okay. All right. That's an important detail because he, he was getting red zone work even when Eckler was in there. So that's a good call. Um, I guess last mentions, uh, Mike Williams looks like he's starting to come on a little bit, you know, the really, really impressive catch that everyone remembers from, uh, a couple Monday nights ago, but, you know, also just being productive and, you know, when he's healthy, he's killer on those jump balls. I don't know if there's really anyone better than him at those. Uh, so going up against the Jags, Keenan Allen potentially, you know, or should be back from those back spasms that that knocked him out against the Saints. Um, So does this set up as like a huge Herbert game and big game for this for this passing offense for the Chargers?
2: I think Herbert will play well. I just don't know how much volume they'll ask from him. Uh, I guess that would maybe be subject to how well the Jaguars offense plays. But I think Herbert will be explosive and, uh, you know, generally clean game. Especially because I think Allen has a major, major. Well, I don't know. I guess Sidney Jones has been a better slot corner than DJ Hayden was before the DJ Hayden injury. But I, I still feel like Allen, like Sidney Jones, is like 180 pounds, and and Allen is just you know close to unstoppable most of the time. So I think this sets up to if like I can say I think if the uh, if the Jaguars do cover this, uh, then I can imagine Allen
1: going for like 180 yards or something. Oh, wow. Okay. So I'm going to have to note that down. for. I don't like, know if I really like that. The
2: levels. cover is the
1: thing. Okay. All right. That's fair. Um, all right. Let's get on to the night games before we round things out. We got Bucks, Raiders, the Gruden Bull. Everyone's been looking forward to it.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, Bucks, four-point favorites on the road in the, the big desert Roomba out in Las Vegas. How do you see this one going?
2: Well, Derek Carr played legitimately well against the Chiefs, which is really weird. Uh, he he made some downfield throws that he normally doesn't make, and that when he does make them, don't work. But he made them, and they were working. Is that so, part,
1: Is that the Rugs
2: effect? Uh, Rugs definitely opened up the option. Like I guess to be fair to to Carr, you can't really throw downfield if uh, the downfield threat is. Nelson Aguilar's all right, but, you know, it's not making the safeties play the game differently, whereas Ruggs, they do absolutely play the game differently. So he, he Henry Ruggs, should be able to get open against these Tampa Bay corners. The question is, can he get open quickly, and how much pass rush will Carr be dealing with, and how will he manage it? I, I think, uh, well, he's... Uh, the thing with the, the Raiders' offensive line, of course, has a lot of... Oh, yeah. The answer to that whole situation has, has, to do with, uh, has a lot to do with how
1: this all turns out. Did you, did you get a look at Trent Brown's tattoo that was circulating on the internet? Or maybe it has been for a while. What is it? I can't say it on this podcast, but uh, okay. check it out. It's pretty good.
2: Well, I don't know what it is. Uh, it's bad that he's been, uh, I guess, tested positive for COVID, I assume. And... I'm wondering like when that happens on a Thursday or sorry, when that happens on a Wednesday and the only Nick Saban
1: can get back in time after that. Yeah. uh,
2: You're going to, you're going to need to have some real new world order connections to, to get whatever special uh, antidotes they have for this. Um, Or so I would, that seems how it normally works because anyway, they sent the whole offensive line home on Wednesday and it's like, who didn't catch If your contact tracing is such that you rule out the need to to, or you you, you, uh, identify the need for all the offensive line to go home at once, seems to think you you suspect more than one might be infected. And if it's more than one, then why not all of them? And so I don't know what the hell is going to happen with this Raiders offensive line. If they're playing backups, then I don't like this game at all for the Raiders. Like I, it sounds like a really bad idea for like a wacky experiment. Like what if we had to put an offensive line together who were just signed on Saturday morning and have Las in Vegas.
1: Vegas. He hasn't
2: played since 2017 and, and like now he's going against uh, Shaq Calhoun or whatever. Um, so yeah, I, I, don't know if, if that offensive line thing goes the wrong way, I don't want anything to do with probably like anybody in this game, but Ronald Jones, I guess.
1: Okay.
2: <laughs> I mean, to be serious, of course, Godwin and Evans, you're playing them in season long. It's just like, if the Raiders have to play backup linemen or like sign three new starters or I don't know Hell, we pr- probably should just keep, keep an eye on this game generally for the ability of the Raiders to even play. Yeah, uh, it, I, I mean,
1: if you're, if you're Gruden and you, like, in your face with that decision, it's like, I, I, you know, we have an entire position group, the offensive line, like, being this, you know, unavailable, then, yeah, I would, I would motion to get this game postponed, absolutely.
2: Yeah, so I don't know what's going on there, but I guess I can say, you know, if, if the offensive line is out there, uh, I, I think Brown is out for sure, though, unless he, like, doesn't show any symptoms and tests negative twice or something, which... Whatever I don't know. Uh, if if he's out there and the offensive line is out there, then I guess they have some sort of chance with like Rugs and Waller. Because as great as I think those Tampa corners are, I don't think they're built to to cover a guy like Rugs. And I don't know what you do about like if are they gonna put Carlton Davis on Darren Waller? And if so, I think I s- still think Waller will be fine there because he's you know six six two forty five or something. So, uh, those guys could be able to, to provide a car with like decent target opportunities, but he needs an offensive line. And I don't think you just sign it. You don't just get an offensive line at the store a day before a
1: game, you know? Yeah. It uh, does not work out that way. All right. Last one here before we round it out for, for this edition of the Thursday wrote wire NFL podcast, we got the bears against the Rams, uh, images of that famous, Bears-Rams game from 2018 danced across my head uh, where Jared Goff turned into a pumpkin right before our eyes <laughs> and, and, and cast some doubt as to whether the Rams really were uh, the best team in the NFL. Uh, provided the blueprint for the Patriots to go on and, and beat the Rams, kind of in my opinion. Um, just get after Jared Goff and, and you know step three, profit. How does this one shake out, uh, this iteration of the Bears team going up against the Rams?
2: Well, I think... It's not a good setup for Goff exactly, but I do wonder if it's maybe a game where McVeigh can still get the defense off balance. Not, not so much because Woods uh, or uh, whatever Reynolds or Cup get going outside. Like I think it might be difficult for Goff to complete passes toward the sideline and downfield at all in this game. So just turn more of it into a misdirection after the catch kind of question and. Uh, all game from three wide looks, Cooper Cup might be a pretty good spot here because he, he'll avoid most of the time anyway. He'll avoid Kyle Fuller and Jalen Johnson and instead run against Buster Screen. And that's where you want to attack there, specifically in the middle of the field. But it, short of that, they should be able to set up some kinds of like, you know, wide zone tight end screen type sequence sequences of plays. Not that different from like what the 49ers do. Just to set up, I guess, like Higby and Everett and uh, the running backs, maybe, with these sort of screen looks to try to make the Bears stop blitzing. And then if they stop blitzing, you can really start kind of like beating up. There's, they're over the middle of the field coverage. So that that's how I would try to go about it. Uh, but with McVeigh, you never know. He's got these just special trick plays where he just goes into a game and decides... Robert Woods is going to catch eleven passes for 150 yards today. I've just decided that, and here are the <laughs> plays that we're going to use that I've never used before. No one's ever seen them. You can't defend them this week. Uh, the, you know the the kind of plays that he was calling against the Cowboys in Week One, and probably shouldn't have <laughs> because their defense sucked anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like th- that kind of that kind of drive. He's just good at like having these drives where like. These plays have just seem entirely new, and no one knows how to how to deal with them until the second half. And maybe he'll have to reach into that bag after losing a division matchup last
1: week. Yeah, th- uh, yeah, they can't afford to, to drop two in a row within the conference. So um, uh, I could see that the offense maybe getting back in gear here a little bit um, on the bear side of things. Um, Allen Robinson leads the league. In, in targets with 66 uh through six games only has two touchdowns to show for it thus far uh, has eight catches over 20 yards um does he draw the matchup like a, a shadow matchup with, with jalen ramsey this weekend and what could that mean for for robinson's uh, fantasy outlook
2: he does i think uh well you, you got to stick with him in season long sure. just because of who he is but I think he could still have a good fantasy day even if he has like a low efficiency day. Like you you assume the efficiency will fall off, but there might be sort of um I don't know, it's not quite a funnel. It's more like a it's like a backdraft back at him kind of thing, but normally when you got a guy like Ramsey on a receiver, there's a funnel away from Ramsey, but in the case of the the Bears receivers going against uh, well, I guess there's Anthony Miller in the slot. Maybe he can do something. But it's like, A, they haven't been really utilizing Anthony Miller this year, which is insane. And B, the outside receiver, I guess it's Mooney most of the time now, he'll be running against Darius Williams, who seems to be really good, actually. And Darius Williams will probably shut down Mooney if he's on Mooney. Is he the so, UAB guy? Yes. And, okay. uh, yeah, he seems really good. So if 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 Williams is causing a funnel back away from or uh, sorry if Williams are talking a funnel away from Mooney and if it's a too wide set and Miller is not on the field then Foles is basically restricted to looking at Jimmy Graham or and Cole Komet and Allen Robinson and so maybe he maybe Allen Robinson only gets like six and a half yards of target in this game but maybe he gets 14 targets or something
1: okay yeah I could definitely see him ending up get it getting peppered with targets I mean that's been the case pretty much all year don't really see that see that um, offense going away from that game plan specifically I, I think it, it all just kind of like starts and goes with what which, which Nick Foles shows up and you know the, the Nick Foles from coming in off the bench and leading that, that heroic victory against the Atlanta Falcons uh, earlier on in the season doesn't really seem like the guy that's controlling the offense right now. So I do kind of have tempered expectations for how well uh, the Bears are going to be able to move the ball on offense. It's just a matter of how much can their defense clog things up for the Rams, I think.
2: Yeah, I'm I see it's already down two points, but even at 45, I'd almost be curious in the under in this game just because uh, I I can imagine Robinson catching like 10 passes for 100 yards and a touchdown and the Bears having like 105 yards from scrimmage otherwise. So uh, if that's how it goes, then even if golf is bad, the Rams should still, I would guess, cover pretty easily and uh, hold the Bears to less than
1: 20. Yeah, I could. could bears currently uh carrying an implied total of 19 and a half so definitely in in the realm of possibility that the that the bears offense does not travel out west uh that's gonna wrap things up for today's show for mario puig i'm john mckackney thanks for listening to the rotowire nfl podcast and make sure you stay tuned uh for that friday show andrew laird and scott genstad diving into the dfs slate for the weekend you don't want to miss that thanks for listening
3: mypatriotsupply.com